Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while exploring plot holes and diving deep into all the details you never knew you needed. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we both not only share a deep love for the show and its creators, but also for our glorious patrons who enrich our lives on more than one level. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 3, Mr. and Mrs. Mazikeen Smith. Which, of course, is a very obvious reference to the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith. The movie that started the whole Brangelina shitfest that dominated everything 15 years ago. Ah, I miss Brangelina. I don't. Well, we can talk about that some other time. But before we get into the episode, we want to welcome our newest believers, Kai... And requested name, my fellow Dean girl, Lena. Not Lena, please don't be mistaken. It's Lena. Thank you guys both so much for joining. Our lives are so much better now when you're in it. So, with a different spin this week, episode 3 focuses on Mace instead of our usual Lucifer-Chloe pairing and gives us much-needed mezzanine time while on bounty hunting and soul-searching. Everyone gets to shine in this episode, except the three characters that were credited but harshly ignored, which were Ames, Ella and Charlotte. Well, since this is a Mace-centric episode, I have taken a little step outside of a box for the obsession of the week. And I hear that you did the exact same thing. Yes, without even asking for permission. I do have Lucifer's obsession of the week as well, just in case. But Mace first. And my obsession of the week for Mace is root slash reason to live. Purpose and belonging. So pretty much exactly the same, but in different words. I love it. Yeah, just nicer phrasing, you know, fancy, fancy emotions. Fine, you win this one. What's your Lucifer obsession? Three, two, one. Mezzagin! <laughs> Close enough. I just went with Mezzagin in general. Yeah, I was gonna say Maze and I was like, no, he literally says she's a demon about 50,000 times in this entire episode. So there we go. I love when we're in sync on this. Yeah, I'm expecting us to quote the same pieces of this. So this episode is gonna be great. Speaking of great, lots of great facts and funs waiting for you lovelies. So let's get the obvious parts out of the way. The title is spoken by Ben Rivers and not Lucifer, already just three episodes into the season. Two writers this time, one, Joe, the other, Alex Katznelson, who we know from four previous episodes, Wingman, Pops, Sin Eater and Love Handles from season two. So first time back in season three. I actually have a fun note to that because I have written down who the director was because I really enjoyed the directing of this episode as well. And it's been done by Tara Nicole Weir, who has directed two episodes beforehand, one of which was My Little Monkey and the other one is Pops. Ooh, so second time writer and director work together. I have a correction to last week's facts and fun. Actually, to what Vero was trying to put into the facts and funs. Episode one and two of season three are not part of the four episodes that were shot last season. The four episodes that were shot last season are Mr. and Mrs. Mazikeen Smith, episode 3, Vegas with some Reddish, episode 6, Off the Record, episode 7, and City of Angels, episode 11. Interesting. And at the moment when this episode was filmed, Leslie Ann was six months pregnant, and when you know that, it's super obvious how they hit her baby belly and everything. And so I am gonna do something that I haven't done so far because we never had the thing that an episode was actually meant for the last season. I'm not gonna count the title not being spoken by Lucifer for season three because this goes into the count for season two, which now puts us at three episode titles of season two not being said by Lucifer. You're such a nitpicker. I love it. Yeah, I know. So previously on Lucifer... Mace, Mace and Mace. Mazagin is Lucy's protector whether she wants 
are not. But she is finding place of her own in the world. She becomes a bounty hunter. She goes off to do her own thing. Demons don't have souls. And if Maze dies, she dead. I really loved the previously on because it was all the May scenes cut together. It was really, really well done. I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, there's nothing surprising about you enjoying May scenes cut together. Yeah. I mean, what more do I want? It's good for my heart. It's good for my soul. It's good for my eyes. Okay. So let's get into the episode <laughs> itself because there's going to be way more about Mace and with Mace throughout the next uh, approximately 55 minutes. Yay. Let me guess. We start with a song? We start with a song. Yes. <laughs> However did you know? Because we're at fucking Lux that there's always a song playing. Yes, this song actually I really, really enjoyed. It's called Dance by Powers, which is a fun duo. And this is actually the song that made it into my Devils in the Music in the bonus episode. However, just a teaser, I will link the YouTube video to their music video because it's really, really cool. So I will link that in the episode description. You're too nice. I know. I'm gonna start with my first quote. And sorry, not sorry, I quote a lot from this episode. The writing is superb this time. There are so many one-liners. Or eyeliners. And this episode starts <laughs> off with no rest for the soulless. And I'm just, aww. It's a title reference from Great Song and it's a pun and I love it. I'm glad you like it. Immediately when this episode started, I paused it and went to look up the director because the camera and directing of the first scene alone is worth mentioning. It's really nice. We get this beautiful shot of this woman on the piano. Then we get Lucifer and then in one shot we go to the bar where Mace and Linda are getting shit-faced. Linda is trying to hold up with Maze, but eh, not happening. Demon liver, different thing. I found Linda to be very human in her pity for Mace not having a soul, because let's be honest for a moment, I find the prospect of not having a soul and thus not having to fear going to hell, but having an actual finite existence, much more reassuring than having the doom of potentially going to hell and suffer for all eternity hanging over my head. The way I understand souls in this universe, they should be connected to emotions. At least from how Lucifer describes it for most of this episode. There is a lot of things about souls that we don't know, obviously. Yeah, but in real life connection. In real life connection, when we talk about souls, I think personality. You're getting way too meta for my question. If real life connection, if you have a soul, you go either to heaven or to hell when you die and your existence continues on. Or if you don't have a soul, you are done when you are done. Well, that is if you're religious, yeah. Isn't it much more reassuring and less frightening to have an end? I think on one hand, yes, but at the same time, the fear of life just ending is why people invented religion. Yeah, probably, which I never understood. So this is one of the few moments I really had a hard time empathizing with Linda because I feel so very much differently. And I agree with you that in this show, it seems that souls seem to be very much connected to emotions. And at the very end, I have a few theories, but we're going to talk about that at the very end. We're going to be running into the whole soul business throughout the entire episode. So we're definitely gonna talk some more. Like I said, I have a lot of quotes in this episode and Hunt, the most challenging human you can is one of the most beautiful setups we've had this show. Because yes, this is exactly what's gonna happen and it's going exactly as we thought. I have an addendum to that, though. When I watched this the first time, I didn't know this episode was meant to be in season two. So for me, this all happened inside the Cinnamon story. So I thought she was gonna hunt the Sinner Man. Oh. And I was so confused that she went after this rando dude in Canada. Now it all makes sense. It is very much confusing at the beginning before you realize that this is a standalone episode. But, oh God, it's so much better for it. But also, Lucifer says another thing, which is burn brighter. And I have finished that quote for him. Burn brighter. Look at my eyeliner. I am totally not pretending that this is what I want. And here I thought it was going to be an actual quote that I missed. Nope. 
I have finished that quote for him. Okay, that is my truth now. I think it is time to move on to the second scene. Actually, this episode, I have great scene names. I wrote down some scene names which were more questions that I blurted out at the beginning of the scene than actual scene name. Perfect. Because I used to do this and then I had trouble finding some, but this episode was so full of content that it was actually fun to think of scene names. So... This scene, obviously, is the most challenging human, Ben Rivers. I just got super confused by the fact that Mace has an office and obviously it gets immediately explained. Because you see the first moment of this scene and it's Mace sitting in an office watching a video that is something that Mace would definitely watch as a pleasure film. Eating pudding. It's perfect. So we get uh, Lieutenant Herrera walking on Mace and he gives us the setup for the scene and Mace does her thing and the guy I felt so bad for him. I didn't. I was way too enchanted by her. Herrera gives us the plot point for this episode so we can move on to the apartment. We're moving on to Trixie the cat in a suitcase. Like I said, I have a title for every scene. <laughs> okay. So Mezekin is packing for Canada. This scene gives me so much life because the way Mace interacts with Trixie is utter beautiful heartwarming perfection and I say that as someone who is not really actively interested or cutified by children or anything but this is written and presented and shot in such an organic harmonic way that you can basically feel the affection coming off your screen. It's really, really cool. Also, technical question. Have we seen Trixie in the first two episodes? No. Okay, so let's keep an eye on her as soon as she shows up, because I'm pretty sure there must be quite an age jump. Yes, this is gonna be curious how they deal with that. Yeah. That's actually a really good note. Because episode 11 is the latest. Either Trixie is not in the later ones, or they would have to keep her out of the season up until that point because you can definitely tell her age changing a lot. So yeah, let's keep an eye on that technique a little bit. And this scene also gives me another one of the quotes that I absolutely adored when Mace has already left the apartment and Trixie is like, well, why are you worried for her then? And Chloe goes, I'm not worried about Mace, I'm worried about Canada. Which is a brilliant moment to cut that scene and just transfer into the actual Canada. The scene transitions in this episode are so good. I mean, I know we've talked about this in the past, but this episode really takes it up to 11. Yes, 100%. And as we move to Canada, we started off with a really fun song, Very Lucifer like called Watch Me by the Phantoms. Nice. I called this very short scene Demon in the Snow. Aww. It is of course the scene that gives us the title card and it answered a question I didn't know I had. Demons do feel cold. Happy days. I wasn't aware I wanted to answer that but it was curious. Here we are. I don't think Maze knew that that was a question that she needed answered. But I love her creative solution. The kid deserved it. Her face walking away wearing his jacket is on fucking point. It's so good. Can I just say, I know that it's like a cliche that pregnant women are glowing, but holy shit, Leslie Ann looks amazing in this episode. Like, she is stunning. Stunning. She's always a very attractive woman, don't get me wrong, but I feel like in this episode, holy shit. Yep. Right? Moving on to mother hen Chloe. And I have one main note and the rest I'm more than happy to defer to you, but what the actual fuck is Dan wearing? <laughs> 
I don't care about anything else. It's a Hawaiian shirt. It's horrible. It looks great on him. The color really works, works for him. No, it doesn't. It looks horrible and I hate it. Can we burn it? I kind of want to do it as a cosplay now after you <laughs> you approached it this way. Screw you. I'm going to wear it as a cosplay in our Apple of Truth photo shoot with Tom Ellis. Oh my god, it's kind of awesome. And you'd have to get a Chloe cosplay though. We're going to have to think of something for me, but oh my god, that's actually kind of awesome. Fuck you. Ah! You are get a six you welcome. Okay, continue. So this moment where Dan shows up at the precinct and starts talking about his holiday. For me, in this moment, it could have gone into two directions. One, it was an excuse for Kevin Alejandro, the actor, to take a few weeks off on the show, in which case it felt like a really clumsy solution and I did not like it. Or, (laughs) solution number two, something horrible is about to happen to Dan. (laughs) In which case, absolutely hilarious. Spoiler alert, the episode's writing is really, really good. I did not focus on Dan at all because I had utterly forgotten what happens in the future. So I was completely focusing on Chloe and my internal question was like, doesn't she have anything better to do than track Mace? Isn't there a homicide that she should be focusing on or something? Quiet enough in LA, no, not enough dead bodies. Without Mace there? Cinnamon took a holiday. Apparently. Also, there is this one moment where Lucifer gives this whole talk to Chloe about her being overprotective mother. And it feels really correct until he says that Maeth sure has it under control. And in this moment, I went... Probably not. Probably not. Also, I think this is the first time he does the whole she's a demon thingy. And this is probably the only thing that is starting to wear a bit thin, but they actually resolve it in a way that I was happy with. So I'm not complaining about it. I think it took too long for me to get resolved, but I would be way more pissy about it if they didn't do it now. Yeah. We're moving on to Canadian norm get it because wow canadian normal and he's called norm i know i love it thank you i have no notes i just wanted to point out and say a little appreciation note for mace for being extremely smart and figuring out in about five seconds what is the correct type of torture for norm she knew instantly what his weak spot was and how to latch on to it. Really well done. And then we move on to massaging Mace. This scene is extremely hilarious. So we have this woman. And I was slightly confused at the beginning of this scene. I think her name is Muffy. Yeah, her name is Muffy. So I was slightly confused at the beginning of this scene because I wasn't really sure what is Mace trying to achieve by that. But it soon becomes clear that she is trying to get information out of Muffy. And while she's at it, she's gonna have a little bit of fun because it's Mace. The whole writing for this episode, it's just so very Mace. It's not nowhere in the bad sense of word. It's not nowhere in what Mace used to be or she could be. There's no regression or anything like that. But it's still very much Mace, which makes me very happy. Yeah, and I've been really longing for something like this and I'm just so happy. And also, this is one of the few scenes where you can actually notice them hiding the baby bump because of the cut of the shirt and everything. So really, really well done. Now, she's done with Muffy. (laughs) She's nowhere near done with Muffy. Well, at least on screen she is. The rest happens off screen, sadly. We move on to Ben Rivers is special. And special he is. This is the moment where I screamed at my telly because I adore adore this actress. Erica Chera is wonderful and amazing and I met her and I love her with all my heart and I freaked out the same you just described. My notes are very, very similar. We actually did a a meet and greet with her. I was sitting right next to her and I was losing my shit because I have loved Erica since the first time I watched Eureka, which is a TV show that started coming out in 2006. And I was watching pretty much in the real time. So imagine me nearly 15 years ago 
watching a television show, falling in love with this amazing actress. And then last year, I got to actually meet her in person. Honestly, when I did my photo op with her, I lost my shit. She climbed me during the photo op. I know. It was just like, what? It's so cool. She's brilliant and she was so approachable and lovely and wonderful. And I really hope she's coming back at some other point because I would love to see her again. So seeing her in the episode, I was just like, freak out. Because I completely forgot she was in it. Same. Holy shit. And I'm really sad that she only has this one scene. I know, right? But, uh, well, we take what we can get. Exactly. Also, because the writing really gives us Lucifer and Chloe as such a great team, which I have been missing in the first two episodes in season three, because they feel so out of sync. And here we get a callback. How amazingly together they are what a great team these two have become because they work so well off each other just the way Chloe looks at Lucifer to make him do his thing and then he does it just I love it yeah their dynamic is brilliant and the way he uses his powers and the way Chloe offers him the opportunity and he waits for her approval before he jumps in there it just works really really well yeah only praise on this scene also Erica yay I don't say it enough Yeah, let's just say it one more time. Erica is just amazing. And I really hope that we see her again. If not, I'm just going to rewatch Eureka. Then sadly, we have to move on to the next scene, which I called flirting with the target. And I'm going to continue on this topic with the name of the song that is playing in the background, which is called I Like Trouble. Very fitting. It's by Jailbreakers LTD. So even the fucking band name fits the scene since he breaks out of the handcuffs. Yep. Wow. It's just very, very good. And very Lucifer. This feels like season one when we several times had not just the song name but also the artist name fit the scene and the usage of the song. I found it very interesting that May seemed taken by him from the very first moment she laid eyes on him. The first second they start interacting, she is intrigued because he is so blasé about having been caught. She puts the handcuffs on him and he doesn't react. And this is the second she takes interest because it's so unusual. Yes. Also the whole situation where I think that she expected a completely different situation because of the reputation this guy has. So yeah, absolutely. I love her entire ruse. It was very, very smartly done. And him being completely unfazed by the situation is extremely intriguing. And I love the whole Muffy is great in the sack. Yeah, she is. (laughs) At this stage, I was convinced that he was going to try to talk her into letting him go and I was like it's maced it's funny (laughs) that's not gonna happen yeah so about halfway through this scene the music changes and we swap to a song that is called Unholy War by Jacob Banks it's a very similar feel song so you wouldn't really if you wouldn't focus on it you don't really recognize the difference but I just found it fascinating the whole name kind of inserted into this scene because now it's on he has put out the challenge so this is actually really nice I have written down a quote that is connected to something that we have talked before I mean okay I say we but we were just praising Linda for approaching it that way he says best way to hide you're running from something is to run towards something else which is quite interesting built on the thing that Linda said way back when when she talked about you either are running towards something or away from something. Very curious. It's a really nice callback and I completely missed it. Thank you for pointing this out. Are you welcome? It went completely over my head and now you started talking like Linda's like ah. 
Wow. Uh, happy days. Thank you for being awesome. Ah, uh, stop it. You're going to make me cry today. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. And I have a last <laughs> thing on this scene. And that is interesting thing that she lets him get away. Yeah, because she could instantly break off the cuff. Like it would not slow her down. Yeah. But also really impressive that she actually managed to slip the cuff on her. Without her noticing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons why she didn't come after him. Exactly. That's why she lets him get away. Because he deserved it. I have nothing more for the scene. So now we get into a scene that is not per se a change of a scene. It is our favorite phone call to change a scene. Yes. And we get the, again, extremely worried Chloe. Mother hen. Calling up Mace, trying to tell her that her target is dangerous. Emotionally dangerous. Which is just such a great way to phrase it. Yeah, I love the way Mace answers the phone, actually. The first thing she says is, I don't know who punched a hole in the bathroom wall. So good. Which is, again, one of the best things that you can hear in this episode. But that's a really, really great moment. And we have that conversation, which gets very abruptly interrupted by Lucifer hanging up the phone on Chloe. And after the phone call actually ends, Lucifer yet again puts out the doubt of Mace not being able to be emotional or emotionally vulnerable. And this is the moment where I actually had to write down why can't he admit that Mace can have emotions. And it's something that I just written down in here because of the frustration that I had, because we have seen in previous episodes Lucifer trying to deal with that. This time I could deal with it. It's the next Next time that I went into detail about it. <laughs> because three times the charm, this was the second time. But before we talk about unpleasant things, let's move on to sexy fighting. Jesus, this scene. Right? I know that I've said this about so many scenes already, but this is hands down one of the best <sighs> scenes in the episode. And it's so hot. You have the music. You have the choreography. You have the conversation. It has everything. Are you reading my notes? You just read my notes. I'm not surprised. We are very single-minded this time. During the scene, I was like, the choreo, the setup, the music, the everything. There is one little bit that it kind of adds to our flavor of Maze. Maze has super speed. I actually do wonder in which position this episode was supposed to be, because it has to be after Linda and Mace become proper friends. But we're gonna talk about this more, I think, at the very end of this episode. But this is one of the questions that I actually asked myself. Also, in this scene, I have to confess, when I first watched this episode, I did not see it coming that Herrera was gonna be a dirty cop. That completely took me by surprise. Yeah, they didn't really make it obvious at all. He wasn't unlikable enough, like Malcolm in season one. Malcolm in season one was so disgusting that it was easy to see him as a shitty cop. But Herrera actually comes off as charming. So I was surprised, but I was also fully on board with the option of Herrera being a bad cop and Ben not being proper bad. Well, define. We can talk about that a little bit later. Anything else? The plot thickens is my final note. Perfect. Because next scene, Chloe's guts. So my notes, weird notes on this scene. I have two and they're weirdly written. One says, oh, the boy is suspect. What the fuck? And the other one says, Chloe sees all the red flags. I love her. I have one note and it's all caps. Chloe feels something is wrong. Yay, go Chloe. This is one of the moments where I'm like, yes, Chloe, the super cop. She has a gut feeling. She's competent. She knows something. She sees something and she's gonna be right on track and I'm here for it. This is my expectation of Chloe. And so when they make her a normal cop or something, 
something, I complain and then you try to chastise me for complaining that she's being portrayed as human. I don't want human, Chloe. I want super cop, Chloe. But you hate super cop, Chloe. No, 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 no. I hate morally superior Chloe. I love super cop, Chloe. Oh, fun. Let's make into a poll which Chloe is your favorite. Super cop, Chloe. Morally superior Chloe. Emotional Chloe. Chloe the mother hen. Yes, 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 yes. It's gonna be a good one. I'm really happy with that. I only have the one note. Yep, we can move on to the room service. Another assassin and Chloe on the hunt. Dun, dun, dun. Because I kept this scene together with the call and everything. Made sense for me. We instantly get the title drop in this scene, which... I adored, I really liked it, and this was the moment I actually really warmed towards Ben Rivers. I was on board now. I wanted Mace and him to interact even more. To be completely honest with you, he is not like first look handsome guy, but he is charming as fuck. The character. Can I be candid? Be candid. He hits all the buttons for me. Ooh, very interesting. For me, looking at that man, I know we're not supposed to objectify people, be they male or female. That dude, 120% DILF energy. I don't have that DILF comment, really. But so, if I get it correctly, Ben Rivers is your Spencer Reed, hitting every single check. Probably. Okay, interesting. Strong daddy energy. I don't have that leaning, so yes. I usually don't, but looking at Ben Rivers, I definitely do. Oh boy. Enough (laughs) candidness. I really appreciate how well Mace and Ben instantly work together while being handcuffed to each other. Well, I had an interesting thought. I find it curious that the lady, we recognize her instantly as the lady that was taking pictures of Norm and Mace in the hotel lobby. Which now makes sense because she's scooping out her score. Exactly. She is pretty much following Mace trying to catch Ben. Which is smart. Which is very smart. It is the, the easiest way to catch anybody is to follow somebody who's good at their job. But what makes me think that she is not as good at her job is the fact that she walks into the room with one mission and that is shoot Ben dead. And yet it takes her so long to take out the gun, aim and shoot that Mace and Ben have enough time to run across the room and jump behind the table. It was just the only thing that took me out of it. Do you know why I could deal with that? Because in the previous scene, we had confirmation that Mace has super speed. That was the only reason why it was okay for me. Because I agree with everything you said, but that was the one thing that made it believable for me. Okay. When I think about it, one of the two things that took me out of the episode is this, and then the fact that Mace did not kill her by throwing the knife. That was the other thing that I was like, bitch, she he had to throw it blindly. Okay, fine. But like when I was watching it, I was 100% convinced that she got her in her heart. And I was like, why is she still alive? Why isn't she dead on the floor? I fully understand why you would say that. The first thing, super speed. The second, just too high. I love this scene so much because we have this perfectly timed voicemail that Chloe leaves. And then she calls someone else and then she goes... I have to ask a favor. And my initial thought was, is she calling Lucifer? Because Lucifer has the funds to pay for a plane ticket to Canada. So maybe Chloe is the one going to Canada. But then I was like, no, because Lucifer doesn't take this serious. So he would not do this. Another reason why you could think she would be calling Lucifer is that she is asking for a favor and favors are his thing. Usually yes, but not for Chloe, at least in my perception. That's why it would be kind of she is desperate. So she is looking for something that she would normally not so that was my first thought. And then I was like, wait, da, 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 da. no, it's probably not Lucifer. So who's the only other person she would actually call for a favor? Then. So then the whole setup with, ooh, I have my vacation and I have my flying miles and yada yada suddenly made sense. But I thought that he had not actually left yet and that she was going to use his flying miles so that she could fly to Canada. 
That was my assumption. That was the only thing that I could theorize at this moment. I think the way they did it is much better. So much better. It was so good. But at this moment, I was sure that it was gonna be Chloe flying to Canada. Yes, same. (laughs) So we are gonna close up this segment of scenes with the plot-moving situation of the Casanova being shot. Which I actually liked. Yes. It wasn't too surprising, but it fits well enough within the story for me, so no complaints. Let's move on to scene 14, which I called Linda the Duck for Everything. We cut to Lucifer being at Linda's office, and the way he talks about Mace makes me think that he is actually worried about her, but he doesn't realize it. So it's all subconscious level. We again get that whole, oh, she's a demon, she's a demon, she doesn't feel emotions or whatever bullshit he is spewing this time. But the way he presents it makes me think that subconsciously he is actually worried for Mace. Maybe, because you already got your annoyance out in the second time it happened you were more perceptive because for me this was the third time and I was like okay enough with this and I actually was wondering with him being as dismissive of Mace and her needs as usual where is this episode placed in relation to the other season two episodes because we went through this in the non-therapy session with him and Mace in season two. So I am really curious if this is set before or after. I'd say this must have been set directly before that episode because it's so heavily knocking down onto that premise and then it gets sort of resolved in the season 2 finale. So I'm actually proposing that if Lux 2 happens and we get the chance to meet Joe and Ildi, that I want to ask where the four removed episodes were supposed to be chronologically in season two. Go for it. Also, Linda is her amazingly insightful self as usual. And then Mace calls. And Linda actually stops the session and checks who's calling her because obviously she's also worried for Mace. Otherwise, I don't think she would do that. She sees it's Mace calling her on fucking Wobble, which is just, oh my God, this is going to be a constant thing now. I live with this. Yes. And so Mace calls her and we have this classic Star Trek thing. I'm not this type of doctor and I love it. It's so great. This is just wonderful. Literally to me, I have written down, woo, wobble, oh my God, laugh. And then when she picks up and I just saw Ben lying there shot, I have written down all cups into my notes. Not that kind of Dr. Mazakin. And then I just written down a lot of laughing because then obviously Linda says it herself. And I hope it's not the last time she says it. And then, of course, she gives all the instructions that Mace needs. Mace sticks her finger in the wound. This scene is just fucking brilliant. I have a quote by Mace. She says, I'm great at dismembering humans. How hard can it be to fix one? Which is perfect. And then the way she sits up and looks into the camera or like on the screen, it looks like she's about to start reading a manual to fix a dishwasher or something. And it just feels (laughs) so perfect because she just thinks of humans like this machine thing that she can take apart easily. So why couldn't she put it together? Yeah, but I understand her approach. Oh, absolutely. I'm just pointing it out because it made me laugh and it's brilliant. It's really, really good. But for me, the best part about the scene is when she loves the pillow and strokes his hair to the side and everything. She cares about this man and Lucifer notices and now he cares. And this is actually something that I want to talk about. And I don't know if you want to talk about this now or later. Do you think he's jealous? Like in a, this is my property. Nobody else gets to play with this jealous. I don't think so. I think he has proven over the course of the last few seasons that he cares really deeply about Mace. And when he sees her caring about something else, he's very protective. But why? Because he fears of losing her 
I think he just doesn't want her to get hurt. As simple as that. I don't see it as jealousy. I genuinely see it as a protectiveness. It would play to Lucifer's character to be that way as well. I read it as possessiveness and not protectiveness. So I put a way more negative spin on it. Which might come from me not being a relationship person. In general, I don't see the classic relationship things. So for me, this was way more possessive than protective. I'm curious how this is gonna go. But I was really happy that he noticed and that he finally started caring outwardly. And actually, what you said when we started talking about the scene with him pretending... Well, unconsciously. Actually, really, really fits well into the scene. So I think you're actually right from the writing point of view that this is how it was meant to be read. I think me being annoyed with it just took me out of it too much to see it. And I think your analysis of this scene is more accurate than mine. Oh my god. I need to start accepting... Uh, my defeat's way more obvious because you are giving me way too many compliments now. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that. I compliment you when you deserve it and this episode you're kind of on fire so I'm gonna point it out. I made really good notes yesterday. I'm just reading out stuff. I don't really know what I'm saying. <laughs> you noticed good things and you noticed things I completely missed. I'm just praising you for being awesome. Thank you. You know it makes me uncomfortable. I know I have the same issue. Both of us need to work on being able to accept compliments. Moving on to Canada is close enough to Hawaii. I'm really proud of my scene names this episode. Yes. Next morning, we wake up, or rather, Ben wakes up shirtless. My heart. With Miss Alien. She gave him Trixie's plushie, and my dark, dead, shriveled black heart heart opened and I thought okay this is done I'm over it and the camera pans down and she used a button I know that's just perfect shit like this is what makes me tear up and so I pose a question here because this is the moment where I not asked it myself for the first time, but asked myself so much so that I had to put it down. Is Mace getting a soul? I think we've talked about different versions of this before. To me, especially this moment rings out as this childlike naivete, which I feel like is very much on the same level as Trixie is. Yeah, she's becoming new. Which is a beautiful way to read this, which I didn't realize before. Which actually would make a lot of sense. I know that we don't know how souls work. Neither in real life quotation marks nor inside the Lucifer lore. But this would be a beautiful way to kind of put it. I wonder if they're gonna get into it more. And I think this all comes down to what soul means in a Lucifer universe. Because if that means the whole emotion-wise type of a thing. Ability to emotionally connect. That Lucifer keeps alluding to. It would make sense if Mace is exhibiting this type of behavior and approach to other humans that she might be getting, growing, exploring the possibility of a soul. And also it really makes sense, or it, at least in my brain it makes sense, that her friendship with Trixie is something that was easier in the beginning and she really evolved through this friendship and now that she has this sweet caring emotional connection to Trixie now she is ready to go to the next level which apparently is being at least in some parts triggered or awakened by Ben Rivers so this was the moment where I was like oh my god is Maze actually getting a soul and is this gonna be a storyline so I'm super hype and open and please writers don't disappoint me and yeah <laughs> so just to kind of close off the soul topic with lucifer being so heavy on the whole demons don't have soul it now is enough evidence for me to say that angels do have soul angels humans divinity so we can cross it off our question list i'm striking question seven season one yay delete delete <laughs> delete exterminate but the most important part no correction besides trixie's plushie and the button having been used to sew him shut do you know what my third favorite thing about this scene is dan showing up dan 
showing up and still wearing that hideous Hawaiian shirt. You mean my future cosplay? Yes, I mean your future cosplay. <laughs> yes, and this is the moment where finally the something bad is about to happen to Dan shows up <laughs> as being the correct guess and it made me extremely happy. Also, it makes absolute sense that he talked about Ike was collecting points and I finally had enough to get to Hawaii. Yeah, of course it never worked out for him because nothing ever works out for Dan and I feel so sorry for him. But also, he had a layover in Vancouver. Of course he did. Because like Lucifer said in the beginning of the episode, several layovers, you really like to torture yourself. I missed that sentence and that's why I was so surprised. Even though it made such a great sense for him to have a layover in Vancouver. The rest of the scene is very obvious and one of the least satisfying things for me. Because it is so obvious. It's still good and fun and everything. Don't get me wrong. But the writing and style of the episode and acting and everything and the rest of this episode is so great that this is the least impressive part for me. There's just one thing that made me chuckle and that was the bit where Mace is complimenting Dan where she <laughs> says, with my knives and your gun we can do anything, essentially. And he goes, I don't have a gun. And she's she's just extremely disappointed. She's like, yeah, you are only worth your gun. Which is not surprising in Mace's world. We move Move on to the precinct shenanigans. And did you catch the movie reference? Nope. Lucifer makes a Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I've never seen Shawshank Redemption. <gasps> Clutch at my pearls. It is one of the best King movie adaptations ever. Yeah, I know. Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman are amazing. Back into the scene, I adore the moment when Lucifer says mildly handsome face. And this is where I once again pose the question, is Lucifer jealous of Ben Rivers? And now you see where my jealousy reading is based on. I can see that. I think, though, that he is not jealous of him because of Maze. I think that he is jealous of the fact that he has been now referred by more than one person to his face as a very handsome or special guy, which Lucifer is used to being the one who's referred that way, not some ah. other guy. So it's not the issue that Mace might be interested. It's the issue that someone might take focus away from Lucifer. Yes. You are absolutely right. That is way more Lucifer when it comes to jealousy. It is not about the fact that Mace has her focus somewhere else. But it is the fact that he is not the main focus. You are very smart today. I am very impressed. I love this episode. Not just the one we watched, but also the one we record. This is really good. Again, I am only reading out stuff that I've written down when I had a brain. Yeah, that's okay. So I kept the cut over to Maze for 10 seconds in this scene because it's literally cut over to her trekking blood in the snow and then we cut right back. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even make a note on that. I found it hilarious because it is, oh my god, she is such an amazing trekker. There is this super obvious blood trail on the white snow. <laughs> it was very in your face. Lina, they had to make the trail obvious enough so Dunk would be able to follow it as well. Fuck you, that's a really good point. <laughs> I'm on the roll tonight. No, they didn't because Mace is leaving footprints so he could have followed Mace's footprints. But so is Ben. No, there were no footprints. There was just blood. So did Ben just fly over the snow? Ben is Legolas. Okay, I accept that as a canon. <laughs> It would explain the whole handsome, charming person. Right? Okay, so Ben is fucking Legolas. <laughs> ben is fucking Legolas. Now that's canon. <laughs> And then we go back into the precinct and we have the base. Why your notes are more amazing than mine and why you're so much more on top of this episode than I am because this episode played me some good. The precinct scene concludes in the interrogation and I was completely sure that Lucifer was playing the guard. Turns out, no. <laughs> 
honestly, at this stage, I was like, Lucifer is so full of himself that he is misleading the guard and the guard is eating it up. And then when the guard just started confessing, I was like, wait, did Lucifer do it intentionally? So my process was exactly the opposite from you. So yeah, welcome to my brain this episode. Yep. So we move on to scene 17, which is showdown in the snowtown. Yay! And snowtown is forest. Damn! Again, you're better than me. Because I had snowdown, not snowtown. Because showdown in the snowtown? Oh my god. Hey, no, we are creating the best content together. It's not one of us. We only have to work together. We're we're so great together. It's just, just... (sighs) Look at us. Aren't we amazing? Okay, speaking of overkill when trying to do something amazing, four people pointing silencer guns at Ben Rivers seemed kind of over the top. I mean, he does have a reputation of killing off people who are after him. But still, four guns for one person. How many bounty hunters he got rid of so far? Two really good ones. And then they had to get an extra person or two for Mace because they didn't know if she'd still be there. Oh, that's right. Yes, good point. And of course, I am not sure if they were aware that Dan was in the game. So yeah, it makes sense that have at least four people there. Speaking of Dan, this made this scene for me with the random distraction snowball just hitting her in the face her face it was so good but before we start the actual fight the moment when mace enters the scene and she flirts with the guy who's pointing a gun at her and he likes it he flirts back I was so there for it. That little detail just made me extremely happy. And then obviously Dan shows up and of course Daniel picks the one guy who's gonna throw him around like a little child. Just typical. But actually it's really good that he gets thrown away from the fight because then Mace takes care of everything together with Ben and everything works out great and then he just comes back in time to tell them to shovel off and he's gonna take care of this because you know what Vero? Dan is too good for this world. And looking back at season one, at what a fucking asshole he was, he has really come a long way. And I only want the best for poor, poor, sweet Dan. And don't the show dare to make him unhappy. And I know he already is. And we talked about this in episode one and two. And we'll talk about it some more. So one thing that made me really, really sad about this scene and one thing that made me really, really happy. The thing that made me sad is the fact that Mace used the cute guy as a human shield. That's just very Mace. It's very Mace, but he was cute and he was flirting with her. I would expect her to sleep with him before she uses him as a human shield. And then the thing that made me really, really happy was a quote. I hope I didn't lose the button. My heart. Yes. So we have this situation finally resolved. And we go back to LA, to the precinct. And this is one of the moments where the writing and shooting of this episode is such perfection. Because it completely mirrors the beginning. With Lucifer in the exact same position at the same chair and table and behavior and everything. And it's just wonderfully done. And so I was really, really happy with how they that this whole taking down the dirty cop scene up. And also, I'm aware that this episode belongs in season two, but since they put it in here, it was nice to have another callback that bad people are actually still getting tortured in hell. Yes. So I was quite happy, but also it makes me wonder where this was supposed to go in season two. That's all I have for this one. The only thing I have is that Lucifer clearly has taken the situation extremely personal, but it makes absolute sense. And we can go back to Maze having feelings. And here I have to go back to first time watching. I did not know this episode did not belong where it was placed. And I assumed Herrera was working for the cinnamon. And 
that was the reference that Ben was actually doing. And because I was so sure he was referring to Cinnamon, I kept waiting for him to be shot in the head. Like sniper rifle. Oh. So this scene had so much tension for me because I kept waiting for his head to pop. Okay. And now, second time watching, knowing that this has no relation to the Cinnamon, I could actually enjoy the scene. It is so sweet. It's really, really nice. And we have this kind of cutting back and forth with Mace sitting in front of a fire. And it is framed so we, at the beginning, get to think that she actually decides to go with him. And this is the way it is set up. And this is the way what we're supposed to be feeling for a moment, imagining the world without Mace. And it's just so sad. But before we get into the kiss and the song that comes with it, he starts talking about the denture. And he starts talking about the fuck that Mace is now on somebody's radar. And my brain immediately went to, don't you dare anybody touching Mace. I will be very upset to also, I kind of want to see them try to take Mace on because they have no idea. And she kind of suggests that, yes, they have no idea who they're dealing with. And then the song starts playing, which is called Big Sur, and it's by Porcelain Raft, which is the one song that is a little different from everything else it's very much more emotional and slower paced song compared to everything else that we heard this episode so this is much more of wrapping up the emotion of this episode and it just made me feel very very happy then we have the kiss i'm just gonna let you do your thing and then we switch over to the maze with family moment. Linda drinking wine with her. Trixie being there. Being completely happy that there's fucking blood on her plushie. Chloe being a great mom and interacting with Maze and everything. And for a moment I thought, oh, Maze has a girl's night. But nah, Lucifer is there. <laughs> I mean, it could technically still be a girl's night. But then Lucifer shows up and it kind of changes the dynamic of of the situation just a tiny little bit but it does but because of how he interacts with her I was actually really okay with it because he seems genuine in the way he interacts with her like this seems honest appreciative caring so I not only did not mind him there but he is part of what Mace now considers her chosen family and I am a huge fan fan of the principle of chosen family be it inside shows or be it in the real world this setup mace being in the middle of her chosen family with linda lucifer trixie and chloe for me was very very beautiful and very very heartwarming yeah made me extremely happy we cut back one last moment to ben and mace and he goes they know more than you think and of course the big question is, who are they? Also, our reaction to that, or my reaction, I'm not gonna speak for anybody else, was, oh yeah, sure they do. And then we get the cut. Yeah, this is really well done. So we, not just what Mace herself knows, but what we know. And we cuts to this mysterious person looking inside of a folder with Maze's picture in it and then other stuff. And then the person puts it into a drawer. It's a file cabinet. We have a bunch of names. I freeze-framed it to write them down. And now this is the moment when I realized that they know more than we think. I'm gonna do a little conspiracy theory. This means that they know who Mazakin is, for reals, because she is named Mazakin of the Lilim. They know who Amenadiel is. They probably know who Lucifer Morningstar really is, if they know the other two. What they do not know, though, is that Charlotte used to be the goddess of creation, because there is no slushy there. So that is a fun fact that I'm kind of like, ooh, that's an interesting thing. And then we have that mystery thing, the word Gaudium. And I asked, who the hell is Gaudium or what the hell is Gaudian? And if you want to know, you need to listen to the bonus because who could have seen this coming? I talk about the cabinet in the Devil in the Details bonus part. 
So to conclude this episode, all I have to say is it is great. The writing, the one-liners, the setup, the shooting, everything. Sadly, since I now know that this was supposed to be part of season two and not season three, I have not yet reconciled with the current season. But in here, in this episode, Everything was wonderful. The interactions between the characters, be it Linda Mace, Mace Trixie, Lucifer Chloe, or really any pairing, it doesn't matter. It's been a while since I had that many direct quotes from an episode inside my notes, but I simply did not want to stop. Every single person felt completely true to their characters, to their progress, to their motivations. I literally loved everything about this episode, every single thing. And I made a note that I was going to be curious if I might find something to nitpick about while we record, because usually I find something to complain about while we talk about it. And Vero, please correct me. I don't think I did. Yeah, I don't think you did. So this has to be one of my all-time favorite episodes, because there was literally Literally nothing that I hated or that I didn't like. Do we have a new leading best episode in your thing? I think so. I'm gonna have to let this settle, but I love it and I'm happy and I'm super appreciative that we got this episode because let's be honest, it is a filler episode. They could just as well have cut it out and ignore it. And if the other three episodes that they cut out of season two are even close to this quality, oh my joy, do we have something to look forward to. I do not have that much to add. I also really, really liked this episode. I love the fact that we learn so much about Mace and her journey. And Lucifer acknowledging Mace for Mace is really really sweet but other than that you pretty much mentioned all the praise that there is the only thing is that yes this is a standalone episode yes it's possibly a filler but it's a character building episode so to me it's not as much of a filler but it is an episode that could have been inserted anywhere in the last at least five episodes I'd say. There was no Pierce and there was very little of Trixie so we don't really have any timeline. It is interesting and I would like to know why it was chosen to be put there. It may be because we haven't seen Leslie Ann for a few episodes so they wanted to give us a good dose. So the writing was pretty amazing as we talked. I loved directing as well as we talked about as well and uh, it was great fun and it gave us an interesting insight of Maze's potential soul. And with this we say thank you for listening. If you are curious, find us on the various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards from early release to hours of bonus content. Yes, hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us. Because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.